Andrew said he, she saw his face and it was just like, you know, betrayal. He had been left. We didn't leave him. I want to be clear on that, right? They left him. He's forgotten again. He was, have you ever been that person? You ever been the forgotten person? The one where everybody else is, you know, in the room and they're all together and you're kind of off to the side or something like that or the, everybody else gets to do something and you're the one that gets overlooked. And I think we see that here in Isaac uh, tonight. He's the, the overlooked or the forgotten patriarch. Now, every time the Bible says, you know, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he's mentioned, right? But I think I could prove my point. If I were to ask you to tell me a story about Abraham or Jacob, you could probably do it almost immediately. If I ask you to tell me a story about Isaac, something that Isaac actually did, not just another story that he was involved in, it'd be a little bit more of a struggle. We'd be, it'd be a little harder to come up with that. Isaac is not mentioned on his own in many stories or events, not much that is recorded about Isaac as far as things that he did and the things that uh, he accomplished. The only place we really see that is in Genesis 25 and 26. But let me give you a little bit of background on his life. Genesis 21, he is born. He's born to Abraham and Sarah. He is the much-anticipated son of promise. And you say, well, see, there he is. Yeah, but I don't know about you. I was really young when I was born, and I didn't really have much to do with that, right? So that story, that part of Isaac being the son of promise is a whole lot less about Isaac and a lot more about Abraham and Sarah and God's promise, right? So Isaac, you know, there, but not entirely involved too much. Genesis 22, he shows up again. He is to be the sacrifice on Mount Moriah. But then again, that's a whole lot more about Abraham's faith in God than it is about Isaac being the sacrifice, right? Genesis 24, he doesn't, Isaac doesn't even get to pick his own wife, right? Abraham and his servant, they conspire to go and, and pick a wife for him. And, and Isaac is just kind of the, the secondary or maybe tertiary character in the story. It says in, in Genesis 24, 67, the only part he had is he saw Rebecca coming and it basically says he liked her and he loved her, right? And they got married. But the whole story was his wife and yet he wasn't really even involved in it. Genesis 25 says that Isaac and Ishmael bury their father Abraham. In Genesis 27, Isaac blesses Jacob instead of Esau. You know that story, right? But that's really, that story is more about Jacob's deception of his father than it is about Isaac's poor eyesight, right? Isaac's just kind of the character that got deceived, not necessarily the main character. Genesis 28, he sends Jacob away to find a wife. Notice he doesn't do what his father does. He says to Jacob, go, go do it on your own. Go, go find yourself a wife. Genesis 35, verses 27 to 29, Isaac dies, and he's buried, it says, by Jacob and Esau. You remember Jacob and Esau had a lot of tension in that relationship for a good long time. They come back together, and they bury their father. What is interesting is death, and I say all that because there's not much recorded about Isaac as far as what he does himself, but in his death, it says that he's actually the longest living patriarch, right? Although there's not, not as much information recorded about him, Isaac, in Genesis 35, it says he lived 180 years. Abraham, his father, lived 175 years. Jacob, his son, lived 147 years, and Joseph, his grandson, lived 110 years. So here you have Isaac, 
the longest living patriarch with the least recorded about him. Everyone else in that list, Abraham, Jacob, and Joseph in the book of Genesis, they get about 12 chapters to themselves, each one. This is what they did. This is how they did. This is what they were thinking. This is where they went. This is what happened to them, all these things. Isaac, he gets about one. And we see at the end of Genesis 25 and then into Genesis chapter 26 as well. Would you look with me? Genesis chapter 25, verse number 19. Verse number 19. We see Isaac's faith in this section of verses at the end of Genesis 25. We see Isaac's faith. Verse 19, this is the genealogy of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begot Isaac. Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah as wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Syrian. Now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his plea, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. But the children struggled together within her, and she said, If all is well, why am I like this? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb. Two peoples shall be separated from your body. One people shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. So when her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out, and his hand took hold of Esau's heel, so his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. So the boys grew, and Esau was a skillful hunter and a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. In these verses, especially early on, verse 19 and 20 and following, we see Isaac's faith. Did you notice there that Isaac and Rebekah had the same issues that Abraham and Sarah had? God had promised them descendants, yet they had no descendants. They had no children. And we see here in, in what well, we saw earlier in Genesis 17, 19, remember the promise that God gave to Abraham was that he would have descendants and that Isaac, his son, when he gave him the name Isaac, that Isaac also would have many descendants. And I'm sure Isaac has heard that promise from Abraham many times. God reiterates it to him here in the beginning of chapter 26 as well. In chapter 25, verse 20, it tells us that Isaac was 40 years old when he married Rebekah. 40 years old when Abraham and his servant, his servant went off and found Rebekah and brought her back to marry Isaac. And then verse 21, this is where we see Isaac's faith in his relationship with the Lord. Verse 21 says, now Isaac pleaded with the Lord for his wife because she was barren. Isaac pleaded with the Lord to open Rebekah's womb and to give them children. You say, well, was this one time, you know, shortly after they were married, you know, and, and a few, you know, weeks, months, a couple years maybe later, God answered the request? No. Watch the timeline here. Be careful because you can lose the timeline if you're not careful. God grants Isaac's plea, as you know, Jacob and Esau are born, but it wasn't very quickly. There were years of Isaac pleading with God to have children. There were many long nights, I'm sure, where Isaac is begging God to give them children, begging God to be true to his promises. 
You ever been in that position? Maybe regarding children, maybe, maybe regarding something entirely different. You've been in a similar spot where you're begging God to be true to his word, begging God to do what he has said he will do. Notice verse 26. Rebekah gives birth to Jacob and Esau. End of verse 26. How old was Isaac when they were born? 60. When were they married? 40. 20 years. So here we see again something very similar. We're going to see it later as well, like father, like son. We see it here as well, like father, like son. God having given this promise, and this often gets lost in the life of Isaac because we talk about Abraham, you know, and the promise that God gave him and him not having a child and Isaac, the son of promise, finally coming. Well, the same thing is true for Isaac and Rebekah for 20 years. She is barren and does not have children. 20 years of it looking like a Rebekah Like the the promise of God was not going to be fulfilled. For 20 years, that promise hung in jeopardy. Abraham and Sarah, if you remember, it was at least 25 years they experienced that. And here, Isaac and Rebekah are not too far behind. But notice Isaac's faith. He pleads with God for 20 years. He pleads with God for God to be true to his promise. And was God true to his promise? Yes. God is always true to his promise. Do you think it happened when Isaac wanted it to, though? You know, the first time Isaac pled with God to be true to his promise, and it didn't happen, you know, a week, months, a couple years later, and then he does it again and again and again, and 20 years of pleading with God, it did not happen when he wanted it to. Isn't that a lot like us? We ask God and we pray that God will do something. We pray that God will, we pray the same prayer, it seems like, over and over and over for God to be true to his promise, for God to work in us. And does it happen when we want? Not usually. Does it even happen how we want? Not normally, right? But is God true to his promise? He is. He always is. And the question for us, I think, in this is, will you be true to God in the interim? Isaac, was he true to God in the interim? Was Abraham true to God? Yeah, they had their ups and downs. They had their issues. But as they're waiting for God to fulfill their promise, will you be true to God in the interim? Think about it in this way. The life of a Christian, the life of a Christian is this. It's a long period, especially if you've been saved early on, it's a long period of of waiting for God to be true to his promise. What do you mean? Have we experienced yet complete and final salvation, complete removal from sin, complete glory in heaven? We haven't yet. But that promise of God is true. We've put our faith and trust in Christ, right? And now we live for him. And the Christian life is an extended period, especially for those that have been saved uh, for a long time. The Christian life is an extended period of trusting God that he will be true to his promise. That there is coming a day, maybe when we pass from this earth or when Christ returns, that God will bring us into full and complete salvation. We will be totally removed from sin and be in perfect harmony with God. And in the interim, will you stay faithful to that promise? Will you still stay faithful to God as that time period elapses? God is always true to his promises. God is always faithful. We sang the song tonight, Great is Thy Faithfulness. Lamentations 3, verses 22 and 23, through the Lord's mercies, we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning, great 
is your faithfulness. So God proves faithful in verse 21. Isaac pleads with the Lord, and the Lord granted his plea 20 years later. Rebecca, his wife, conceived. Almost immediately, she realized this pregnancy is not, is not easy. Something's, something's not quite right. And she asked the Lord, if all is well, why am I like this? There was something going on there that was unusual, that was different than normal. And not just the fact that she had twins. God tells her that there is a struggle of nations in your womb. And you know what? That struggle between Jacob and Esau started early. And Rebecca picked up on that. That is a struggle of nations that is still happening today with the Jewish people and with the nation of Israel. Verse 24, Rebecca gives birth to twins. When her days were fulfilled for her to give birth, indeed, there were twins in her womb. And you see how much different these twins were from each other, certainly not identical twins by any stretch of the imagination. How'd you like to be uh, described like, uh, like Esau is? He, was, he came out red. He was like a hairy garment all over, so they called his name Esau. What do you want to name him? Isaac? I don't know. He's kind of hairy and red. Let's go with Esau. Jacob comes out and it says that he grabbed hold of Esau's heel. Now remember, the, the, the hairy all over red Esau, that'll come back into play later on in the story, as you know. But, but notice the symbolism here as well, that Jacob, being the younger, grabs onto the heel of the older because God has already said in verse number 23, the older shall serve the younger. And later on, and we'll talk about this when we get into Jacob's life, where Jacob is a deceiver, basically, and he deceives Esau into getting the, the, selling him his birthright, and then he deceives Isaac into giving him the blessing. Yet God is superseding in all of that to bring about this promise that he said where the older would serve the younger. Isaac's faith, though, in having these, uh, these kids and trusting God for the 20 years in the interim is impressive. Look at verse or chapter 26, though. Chapter 26, we see Isaac's fear. We see Isaac's fear. And if you read the first part of, of Genesis 26, it is almost a direct recapitulation of Genesis 12. Remember in Genesis 12, the end of Genesis 12, uh, Abraham, there's a famine where he lives, and so he goes down into Egypt and he doesn't want his wife, he doesn't want to get hurt himself, so he lies about his wife, Sarah, and says that, that his wife is actually his sister. You read through this part in Genesis 26, and it's basically the same story, except the characters have changed. It's not Abraham and Sarah and Pharaoh anymore. It is Isaac, Rebekah, and Abimelech now. Verse 1, there was a famine in the land besides the first famine that was in the days of Abraham. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. Then the Lord appeared to him and said, do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land of which I shall tell you. There's a famine. So what does Isaac do? Same thing his dad did. He actually takes off for Egypt. Now it says in verse 1, he ended up in Gerar, but if you notice verse 2, God actually has interceded here and told him, don't go down into Egypt, and he diverts him over here. 
He takes off for Egypt, but God stops him from going to Egypt. Did that happen in Genesis 12 with Abraham? No, it didn't. God let Abraham get down into Egypt. He didn't stop Abraham from going down there, but he does stop Isaac. You say, well, that's interesting. Why would he stop Isaac, and why would he not stop Abraham? What God does to or for one person, he is not bound to do for all people. God is, not, is, God is never bound by our sense of fairness. You say, wow, it would have saved Abraham a lot of problems if he had stopped him from going down into Egypt like he stopped Isaac. Well, we see in Scripture that God works with each person in unique and distinct ways based on what he wants to accomplish. Your life does not look like the life of the person sitting across the room. Your life looks very different. And God has given you those things and those, those opportunities and those hurdles and those struggles in your life because he's working with you in that way. Isaac, instead of going into Egypt, ends up in Gerar. That's the, the border area between Canaan and Egypt. It's where the Philistines live. What's interesting here, too, is Isaac is the only patriarch not to leave the land. Jacob will eventually leave the land. Joseph will leave the land. Isaac is the only patriarch who actually stays there in the land. And look in verse 3, God reiterates the promise to Isaac. Verse 3, he says, Dwell in this land, and I will be with you and bless you. For you and your descendants I give all these lands, and I will perform the oath which I swore to Abraham your father. And I will make your descendants multiply as the stars of heaven. I will give to your descendants all these lands, and in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed. Why? Because Abraham obeyed my voice and kept my charge, my commandments, my statutes, and my laws. Because God was faithful to his promise to Abraham, he is also faithful to the blessing of Isaac. Now, if you look at verse 7 on, very similar to what happens in chapter 12. Uh, Isaac goes down in there. He's worried about what's going to happen. And so he says, she is my sister, talking about Rebekah. He was afraid to say she is my wife because he thought, lest the men of the place kill me for Rebekah because she is beautiful to behold. Like father, like son. Yeah, like father, like son. There's a big lesson in that. The sins of the parents are often the sins of the children. You ever seen that to be true in your own life or the, the people that you know? We might call those generational sins. Patterns that uh, parents have had that, that children easily fall into. Studies have been done regarding those in prison and those you know, with, with, with drug habits or whatever. And oftentimes that is the case. Which, what's the lesson there for us? Be careful of the example that you are setting for the ones that are coming after you. You say, oh, I don't have any influence. Nobody looks at me. Nobody follows me. Yes, they do. Much more than you ever know. A.W. Pink says, it is easier to follow their vices than their virtues. It's true. It is much easier for us to follow someone's vices than it is for us to follow their virtues. So be careful. Isaac here lies about his wife. Now, I don't think in the story in Genesis 12, Isaac was around yet. He wasn't. But he'd certainly heard the story, certainly heard what had been done. And when his back was up against a wall, he falls into the same trap potentially putting his wife in danger to save himself. Remember when we talked about that with Abraham? Now, it was really a boneheaded idea by Abraham to put his wife in that much danger in order to save himself. Look at verse 8. 
Now it came to pass when he had been there a long time that Abimelech, king of the Philistines, looked through a window and saw, and there was Isaac showing endearment. I think the uh, King James says sporting with his wife, Rebekah, and you can fill in the blanks there. Then Abimelech called Isaac and said, quite obviously, she is your wife. So how could you say she is my sister? Isaac said to him, because I said, lest I die on account of her. And Abimelech said, what is this you have done to us? One of the people might soon have lain with your wife and you would have brought guilt on us. So Abimelech charged all his people saying, he who touches this man or his wife shall surely be put to death. Look at the next verse, verse 12. This is the same thing that happened to Abraham. Even though Isaac was fearful, even though he was unfaithful, look what God does. Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold, and the Lord blessed him. Is that expected? Was that earned in any way? The blessing of God on Isaac, even when he didn't deserve it, when his methods were suspect, when he lied about his wife and deserved to be treated poorly, just like his father did, God was still faithful. We read it earlier in Hebrews 10.23. It says, God is faithful when he promises. God is faithful when he promises. 2 Timothy 2.13, if we are faithless, he remains faithful. He cannot deny himself. Now, that's not an excuse for us to be faithless. It's a reminder that even though when we fail, God does not. God is always strong. Verses 12, and you read verse 13 and 14 as well, you see that God prospers Isaac greatly. So much so that the Philistines look at him and they envy him. And look at all that this guy's got. You know, we don't, we're, we're not being that fruitful in this land. God shows himself strong to Isaac. He shows himself strong among his people so that even the unbelievers see that God is good to those that believe in him. Unbelievers, when God, when God works in believers and blesses them, one of the reasons is so that unbelievers see how God takes care of his own. You know, that should be almost a mini description of the church. That as unbelievers look at the church and they see unity, they see harmony, they see mission, they see the blessing of God, they see uh, uh, morality, they see, you know, fill in the blank. That they look at that and they say, wow, there's something there. Look what God does for and with and to his people. The Philistines looked at Isaac and they said, he's got something we don't have. That's, that's true throughout the rest of chapter 26. I'm not going to get into all of it. But God again shows his goodness to Isaac and Rebekah. He redigs the wells that the Philistines had stopped up. He makes an oath later in the chapter with Abimelech because Abimelech is fearful of how powerful Isaac has become. Sounds a lot like Abraham probably the, the, the wealthiest, most powerful man in that region at that time. God blesses Isaac, not because Isaac was perfect, but because God is faithful. That's the lesson. God blesses Isaac just like he did with Abraham, not because either one of them was perfect, but because God is faithful. Isaac here in, in Genesis is somewhat of a forgotten character in the Old Testament. Though I do want to show you one other thing real quick, and that is that he is a foreshadowing of Christ. If you look at the life of Isaac, you see a foreshadowing of Christ, especially in the way that he was born. Isaac was called the son of promise, right? The one who will come, and when he comes, God will do a great work. When he comes, he will bring joy. He will bring laughter. 
Who then is also the son of promise, who for thousands of years was promised, and that when he comes, God will do a work through him, that when he comes, there will be joy, there will be salvation, there will be peace. That's Christ. We see him as a foreshadowing of Christ, but we also see in his story how he's an example of faith in God, even though he was not perfect. In our Wednesday night discussion just this past week, we were in Hebrews 11. And we all know Hebrews 11 as the great hall of faith, right? Where it goes through all these different people and says, by faith, this person, by faith here, by faith there. And Isaac is mentioned in Hebrews 11:20. It says, by faith, he blessed his sons, Jacob and Esau, concerning things to come. He had a view for the future regarding God's promises because he had experienced them himself. Both with Isaac and all those people in the the Hebrews 11 hall of faith, they did what they did by faith. Hebrews 11.6, probably one of the most important verses in scripture. It says this, without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Have faith in God, because God is always faithful. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the gift of faith.